What a beautiful Sunday morning to be out and singing to Jesus with you all. Uh, my name is Paddy. Um, I'm a member here. I'm also one of our youth leaders for our 14 to 18-year-olds, our YPF group. Um, if you've never been with me on a Friday evening at 8.30 and on a Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock, so we'd love to have you. Um, I'm going to start with a question. I wonder if the name Tim Tebow means anything to you. My guess is that it won't, unless you are an American or an American football fan. But Tim Tebow's name is known in pretty much every sporting household in America. In fact, in the mid-2000s, Tim Tebow was voted the, most in, the third, not the most, too far, the third most influential sportsman in America. You see, Tebow was an extraordinarily gifted quarterback. He was the star player on every team he played for as a child. American universities clamored for his signature, offering him some incredible scholarships. Tebow eventually signed for Florida University. In his first year, he led them to the national championship, breaking every quarterback record along the way. As an individual, he won the prestigious Heisman Trophy, which declared him the best player in the country in college football. He was then drafted into the NFL, the multi-billion dollar American football industry. And he was a first round pick for the Denver Broncos. You see, Tebow is an incredible sportsman. And his sporting accolades brought him much attention. However, it was not just his sporting talent that resulted in him being the third most influential sportsman in America. It was the particular face paint he wore during games. You see, it's common practice in American football for players to wear eye black just beneath their eyes. Apparently, it helps with depth perception and the glare in the stadium, so it helps improve performance. But in white paint, on top of his eye black, Tim Tebow had these words. John 3, 16. Tim Tebow was one of the most watched sports stars in America, and he chose to play with the words John 3, 16, on his face in every single game. Every time he took his helmet off when he'd thrown another incredible pass for a touchdown, every time he celebrated another trophy and another incredible moment, the whole of America saw John 3, 16. Why did he have those words on his face? Do you know, in the National College Championship game on the 8th of January, 8th of January 2009, America's most Google search was John 3:16. What message was it that Tebow wanted the rest of America to know? Well, we read them in this morning's passage, and he brought them to the children. They're these words. For God so loves the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. It was the verse on Tebow's face. It's the verse on the window over to my right. It's the verse above reception in the school on which I work. It's probably the most famous verse in the Bible. Why are Christians around the world so keen to share John 3.16? I mean, it's just a verse, right, taken from a conversation between Jesus and this Pharisee called Nicodemus in the middle of the night 2,000 years ago. Why are Christians now still going on about it? Why are they sharing it? Why are they painting it on their face? Well, I think for three reasons. I think John 3.16 tells us who God is, what he has done, and what that means for us. 
who he is, what he has done, and what that means for us. And I'd like us to look at this morning under three headings, the love of the Father, the gift of the Son, and the work of the Holy Spirit. And my prayer in preparing this this week is that nobody would leave this morning without being in absolute awe of just how much you are loved by God and that we would respond to that love. Let me just pray for that now before we get into the passage. God, we just pray this morning as we, as we look at these words of Jesus that we would know your love. Amen. For God so loved the world. Who is this God? I wonder what your perception of him is. Is he the kind old white man with a white beard on a white cloud up in the sky who one day will meet you at the pearly gates? A sort of jolly but religious Father Christmas? Or is he this distant deity who's too distracted and disinterested in the world that we live in? He's up there, we're down here, but the two just don't connect. Or maybe he's a God who means well, but he just doesn't have the power to deal with what's all wrong in the world. Or worse yet, he has that power, but he just doesn't care. He has no desire to do anything about it. I think there are many perceptions and opinion on who the God of the Bible is. God is caricatured in everything like cartoons, Family Guy and The Simpsons and South Park to Hollywood blockbusters like Bruce and Evan Almighty. Maybe you have arrived here this morning curious as to who God is. You have questions. You're much like Nicodemus. You've come here with questions. Who is this God? It's great to have you here this morning. But as we look at this question, can I just say this? Rather than us putting our projections onto God and who we think he is, can we listen to who God says he is? Who does God say that he is? You see, it's very easy for us to presume, but what does the Bible have to say? Because what John presents to us here in his gospel and what Jesus says about God is that he is a God of love. In fact, this same John who wrote the book of 1 John later in the Bible, in 1 John 4, 8 says this, God is love. And Jesus in his conversation with Nicodemus teaches us about God's love. That it is in God's very nature to love because he himself is love. Love is wrapped up in the very essence of who he is. That God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is part of an eternal relationship of love. In fact, before the world even came into being, there was love between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's just take a moment to to strip back the magnitude and significance of that. The God who is so powerful that he speaks and the universe comes into being is a God of love. The God who delighted to to knit you together in your mother's womb and to give you a different DNA and fingerprint from anybody else in human history ever is a God of love. That the God whose knowledge is so vast that he can count the number of hairs on your head and he knows the number of stars in the sky is a God of love. A God who is so big and so vast where you go to the depths of the ocean and the Mariana Trench or to the outer limits of an ever-expanding universe, he is there. That God is a God of love. A God who is faultless and flawless. 
who cannot lie and cannot break his promises, who cannot and will not let you down, a God who is so full of majesty that the angels adore him and worship him, the God who is so pure and spotless, the God of the Bible who has never done anything wrong, never will do anything, never can do anything wrong, is a God of love, a God who in character and in nature is, is like nothing anyone else could ever know and loves like no one else we can comprehend. For God so loved. The God of the Bible, the God of John 3.16, the God that we've lifted up praise and worship to this morning is a God who loves. And the most mind-blowing thing about this love is who it's for. It's for the world. You see, in this conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus is talking to one of those religious people in the country. He's a, he's a member of the Jewish ruling council. He's a Pharisee. He's referred to as one of Israel's teachers. This is the man who would have been able to give you a quote from anything from Genesis to Malachi. He would have won sword drill every week. Remember sword drill? That was great, wasn't it? He would have won it every week. He knew his Bible inside out. He would have been one of the most highly respected leaders in his community, recognized as a good and religious man. And Jesus sits down with him and says, God loves the world. Nicodemus would have nearly fallen off of his chair. God loves the world? Are you sure, Jesus? Because what Jesus is saying here by using this word world, is that God loves humanity. And Nicodemus knew that humanity, that the world is, is sinful. And here is Jesus saying, God doesn't save his love for the religious, rule-keeping, upstanding citizens. No, no, his love is for the world. He loves those who do not love him. And I wonder if you've ever had a thought like Nicodemus that God's love is for a certain type. God's love is for a certain type of nice person. Well, this morning Jesus says, you're wrong. God loves the world. And we cannot appreciate the depth of this love if we first don't recognize how undeserving of it we are. Our rejection of God can ultimately take many forms, but it's all rooted in our sin. We want to live life our way, not God's way. Sin sets us up against God in, 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 in a way that it shows that we hate him and what he desires for us. Today is my wife and I's seven-year wedding anniversary. Thank you very much. Nobody loves me like my wife does. Nobody. She's an incredible woman. Now imagine my wife who poured more love into me than anyone else. Imagine if my reaction was to go and give that credit to other women. Or I would go out every night of the week and, and never respond to her love. I would take the dinners and the iron shirts and the care and love she gives to me and never say thank you. A lot of you would pull her aside and say, this is, this is awful. Paddy, look how Paddy responds to how you love him. And yet we do the exact same thing to God. We have a God who pours out love on us. And we set ourselves against him. We reject him. We fail to love God as we should. 
You know, God's love for this world is so incredible. And what I love about God's love, it, it's not passive. He makes it personal. You see, God's love causes him to take action. And so he sends his son into the world for the world. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. I wonder what the best gift you've ever received is. A few years ago, some young men who, I, who I'd been a youth leader for, um, they'd been with them, I'd been with them for four years, they were in my, my small group, like, we shared lots of those four years, it was a privilege to be their youth leader. And they left in the summer, and in the October, it was my 30th birthday, and they turned up to YPF on a Friday night. Oh, this is good. And they turned up, and they had a present for me. Now, I knew these young men. I knew they didn't have lots of money. I know that they were doing part-time work or they were students. And they'd clubbed together, and they came to see me. When you hear what the present is, you're going to be like, grow up, mate. And they came to see me. And I unwrapped this box, and there was a pair of really expensive night trainers in there. And it blew me away that they had gone away and clubbed together and bought me these trainers. Because I looked at their feet and they needed them more than I did. But it was just a gift that just showed how much they loved me. You see, they'd taken the time to get in contact with Kristen and find out what size I was and what I liked and whether I would like these ones. And then they got together and they planned. They said, this is a really personal gift that came at a great personal cost to them. You see, God's love causes him to gift us, to give to us his one and only son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the best gift he has to gift. It is the gift that comes at the greatest cost to him. And it's a gift that he offers to you personally in his great love for you. Do you know a love like it? Do you know a love that would move someone to give the most precious person to them away to a people that hates you? It's an incredible gift. I can't fathom the thought. I have two daughters. There is nothing any of you could do that would make me even consider giving them up for you. And I like some of you. There's nothing you could do. So what's this gift like? Who is the son who has been given to the world? If you were here with us last week, you would have heard Hebrews 1, 1 to 3, where we heard that the son, that, that Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. The gift is God himself in the flesh. So God says, look, I look at the brokenness of the world and I look at the messes he's in and I say, you know what, I'm going to take on flesh and I'm going to go and fix it myself. And if we want to know more about the Son, about how amazing this gift is, then we need to just read up about Jesus. You see, John is my favorite gospel. And John's my favorite gospel for this verse in chapter 21. He's just written 21 chapters about what it was like following Jesus around for three years. He's recorded miracles and, and parables and all these incredible things. And he says this, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, 
I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Wow. Jesus is so wonderful, there aren't enough books in the world to record the amazing things he did. Jesus is so amazing, there there aren't enough songs that we can sing to him. Jesus is so amazing that he takes the time to, to meet with a man in the middle of the night and answer his questions. And my favorite part about this gift is that it is for whoever believes in him. You see that whoever? Jesus' gift is for whoever believes in him. If you are male or female, if you are black or white, rich, poor, if you're old or you're young, middle class, working class, educated or illiterate, whether you have mental, learning or physical disabilities or none at all, this gift is for you. It doesn't matter who you are this morning. It doesn't matter how good or bad you think you are. It doesn't matter what you have had done to you or you have done to others. If you woke up this morning in your bed after Britain's got talent and a cozy night's sleep, this love is for you. If you woke up on another sofa, in another house, on another bad night, this love is for you. If you woke up in a bed this morning of someone else who you barely even know, this love is for you. How can I stand here and say that? How can I get up on a Sunday morning and make such a declaration? Well, because it's recorded for me in the Bible to tell you. You see, what John does in his gospel is shows us time and time again, Jesus meeting all sorts of different people where they're at and showing them this incredible love. If you want to know how God loves, look at Jesus. The exact representation of God. So if you're here this morning and you're very well educated and you've grown up in the church and you too would win sword drill. And you think, do you know what, my parents are Christians and I'm a pretty nice guy or a pretty nice girl and I'm all right. Well, look at John chapter 3 and hear these words. You must be born again. You need to have your own personal faith in Jesus. If you're here this morning and you're a working class person, you think this is for those middle class people on Somerset Avenue. Well, look at this. John chapter 2. It's fishermen who follow Jesus first. The blokes in Rona's, after a hard night's work, Jesus calls them to follow him. Jesus is for whoever. If you're a person here this morning and you've been through failed relationship after failed relationship, love has actually been used against you to abuse you, and that hurts. And you lack self-esteem. And you just want to be loved. Well, look at John chapter 4 where Jesus meets a woman at a well and knows everything about every relationship she's ever been in. And he shows her love. And he says, drink from me and you'll never be thirsty again. If you're broken by grief this morning and you're angry about death, but read John 11 and see Jesus at the graveside of his friend weeping because death breaks his heart too. But read on, where he declares, I am the resurrection and the life. And he calls Lazarus up out of that grave. If you're here this morning and you want to believe everything I'm saying, 
but you doubt. Turn to John chapter 20 and say, Jesus, say to Thomas, stop doubting, Thomas, and believe. People of Chesington, no matter where you're at this morning, God loves you so much, and he will meet you where you are at. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Do you believe it? Do you believe this is true for you? If so, thank you, Jesus. If you know this love, you know, in doing this verse, maybe you even saw it in the email, I think John 3.16. I know that, but do we know it? Do we wrestle with it? Do we take it for granted? How much we're loved? If you don't know it, can you know it this morning? Yes. If you really want to see how great this love is, well then you go to John 19, and you see the gift of the Son Endure lies about what he is and who he is and what he's done. Endure torture. You see him carry his cross up the hill. You see him nailed to that cross and lifted high. And then you see him take the punishment for your sin upon himself because he loves you. That's the love of Jesus. That he would do that for you, that he came as a gift to the world for that very reason, knowing is that was what would be done. There's no love like it, and there's nobody like Jesus. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he would send his only son to make a wretch his treasure. It was my sin that held him there, until it was accomplished, his dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Isn't that a love to marvel on on a sunny May morning? But it's a love to marvel on on a cold December night. It's a love to marvel on every single day. And there's no love like it. So how do we respond to a love like this. You see, the promise of this love is that we won't perish, but that we'll have eternal life. Jesus goes on to say in verses 18 to 19, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. How do we go from the darkness and the perishing to the light of eternal life? How do we go from condemned to justified? How can we go from, eternal, uh, from perishing to, to eternal life? It's by believing in Jesus. You see, he, he's done it all. There's, there's, there's nothing you can do except ask God to work in your heart through the power of his spirit. If you are a Christian this morning, you have been redeemed by God in an act of intense and intentional love. 
The God of heaven gave up his son for you. Why would we trade that in for anything that the world has to offer? Pray that the Holy Spirit would keep Jesus, the light of the world, firmly in focus. That you would be drawn towards his beauty and his majesty. That the wonder of what he has done for you would never dim. That John 3.16 would never just be a verse that you know. But actually that the light would glow brighter as you stand in his presence each and every day. And if you are here this morning and you want to believe in Jesus, then pray for God to work in your heart. You haven't got to work a bit harder. He didn't say to the woman at the well, go and sort your relationships out, come back, I'll be waiting. He was there. He's done it all. Do you believe? Do you need to pray for him to work in your heart to take you from the darkness, brokenness, and rebelliousness of sin into the glorious light that can only be found in our Lord Jesus Christ? How will you respond this morning? Because it requires a response. I was at a wedding yesterday. Um, it was for Rachel's brother Tom. And Rachel did a reading. It was a, it was a C.S. Lewis um, quote. And it's, I can't remember off the top of my head, but basically it said, love isn't a feeling. Because feelings come and go. Love is a deep commitment to another person. God's commitment to you is his son. It's worth thinking about, isn't it? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Why don't we bow our heads for a few moments? Maybe take the time to think about that verse, what it means for you. Maybe ask the Lord Jesus to meet you where you're at this morning. And then I'll pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who is love. Love, we thank you Lord, we thank you that your love is not passive, but it's personal. We thank you that it is love in action. And that we can see your love in the gift of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we have arrived in many different frames of mind this morning with many different things going on in our lives. We thank you that Jesus meets us where we are at. And shows us great love. We thank you that his love didn't stop there. But that it took him to the cross. To bear that punishment that we deserve. For our rejection of you. Lord I just pray that whoever is here this morning. Whatever their circumstance. That they would leave knowing just how much they are loved by you. And that they would respond in giving you all the praise, all the glory, and all the thanks. Amen.
I'd like to invite musicians back up. If there's anything I've said this morning that you'd like to talk to me about, I'll be down at the front afterwards. Please come and speak to me if there's anything you'd like to know. Thank you very much.